Well, I'm glad we have Bethany Ruth. This rose is um, a tradition at our church. New babies, new members, uh, I guess, who start life here. A rose is a symbolic, let me just put this down, a symbolic statement of God's love. A rose reminds us that uh, children are a gift from God, and we are to treasure them, and we are to help them uh, prosper and grow and listen to more and more sermons. I think it'll be good for little Bethany Ruth to be here. There's a song that uh, it's maybe or maybe doesn't apply here, but I think it does in a sense. It's uh, um, just remember in the winter far beneath the bitter snow lies a seed that with the sun's love in the spring becomes a rose. And I'm so excited about Bethany Ruth because I know that Joel and Gifty and Jonah and Manisha and all of us, their family, are going to enjoy helping this little girl be a real success for God. Let's pray for her one more time. Father, I just thank you for Gifty and Joel and Bethany, Ruth. We thank you for her big sister, Samantha, who often will feel changed in her relationships with everybody. Bless that family, Lord. They are such a special gift to our church, a special gift to your kingdom. And I thank you for them. And I thank you for every heart here who is praying, every heart here who is willing to give and to serve and to be a part of this life of Bethany Ruth. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what next week, I suppose, will be next week, we'll present this to her beloved mom and dad. Any questions so far? Should I just uh, pray and we'll go home? <laughs> okay. I have someone taking your names. That's okay. It has been one year, and I, <laughs> I'm kind of stunned at those precious gifts. I can't wait to see what will happen when they send me down the road. Oh, we're going to keep me. Okay. Well, if Barry keeps up doing the good job he's been doing, I might share my keys to the sign with him, but you got to be here, Barry, to get them. So. And I don't know what... Oh, there's Joe. Is Joe sitting back there? I can't see him sitting in the sunlight. Anyhow, I, just, I am thankful for this one year. It has been a tremendous learning experience and blessing. You have taught me a great deal, and I... I sincerely mean that, and I look forward to what God has for us as a family together in the next uh, months to come, or the weeks, or the hours, as it may be. If you open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, we're going to do something that uh, is a lot of fun. I'm just going to kind of hit the highlights here in chapter 4, because I think it has uh, a great deal, but I could talk about every paragraph for a full sermon. So I'm just going to hit the highlights. I uh, title this one, Teach Them Caution, because what Paul is doing, I I'm wholly believe, hmm, 
what Paul is doing is he's going to do the same thing that Joel and Gifty are going to do for Bethany Ruth. He's going to do the same thing that Kristen is doing for beautiful girls. He's going to do the same thing that everyone here who has children would do. He's growing Timothy, even though Timothy is a grown man, he has a great position at the church in Ephesus, but Paul is talking to Timothy, and it's like Paul already has a sense because he walks so closely with God that the end is coming soon. And if I don't have very much time, the things that matter most are the things that I want to tell you now. I said last week, uh, and Barry alluded to the fact that long-winded sermons are a key object in getting us out of here, so Gary's sitting back there trying not to smile, Barry. The deal is that Paul is saying to Timothy, who is his, he considers him his son in the faith. He's saying to Timothy the things that these are important, Timothy. If I don't have much time, I want to keep writing these things so you will know how one should conduct himself in the household of God. I want you to know because I'm passing my treasures and my legacy and the gift that God gave me, word at a time to you. Just like he does to every parent. He gives us a burden. He gives us a, 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 vet, a message in a jar of clay. And he wants us to give it to others, to our children and to others that we know. Paul has authority to do this because based on the things that happen in his life. And I know as I said a while ago, is if there's something that you need to trust God with. I believe the majority of you did pray that. God, take this. But Paul met Christ in a very special way on the Damascus Road. It was a big light and a big voice. And a big fear swept over Paul. He had been persecuting Christians and he fell on his face. And then he had to go hang out with this guy called Ananias. And Ananias was afraid of Paul because Paul was a, an abuser of Christians. And God said, Paul, I want you to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, and I want you to preach it with truth and integrity, and I want you to know that uh, it won't be easy. You won't be staying in a Holiday Inn. You won't be staying in a, a Ritz-Carlton. You'll be beaten. You'll be physically and mentally abused. You'll have slander. You'll be called an imitator of an original apostle. They'll tell you that the truth is not in you. Shipwrecks, beatings, jails, thrown to wild enemies, hungry, naked, and disbelieved many times. But Paul, in spite of all these, um, these little hindrances, was on authority from Christ to come and preach the gospel and write the words that he wrote to each of us. And he didn't slow down. And he wanted to, and I know you're thinking, wait a minute, we were supposed to be here in 1 Timothy 4. Yes, we are. Paul was in 1 Timothy 4, and we see later in chap in uh, 2 Timothy, Paul knew his service in this world was coming to an end. But Paul had been given the gift of uh, uh, a special gift to relate to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was telling the apostle, pass this on to your children. Let them know 
and pass this on to Timothy because right now Timothy is going to carry the burden and the mantle of what you give him to give to other people. Timothy didn't write any letters, but Timothy taught the gospel in places that were tough to teach the gospel. And it's because his father in the faith, Paul, gave him these words. I just, uh, I just am so impressed by these two and how they work. And I see some of you doing this with your children or with other young people that are not really a part of your family. Paul and the Holy Spirit wanted to impart some good things about ministry in Christ. And we read some of those things in uh, the first three verses here. But Paul now says to Timothy, there's some things that I want you to caution people about. I want you to be, have caution about these things. It hasn't everything to do with uh, the word of faith and the faith in your heart. And I love that word faith. Paul uses it 14 times in the first chapter, the first four chapters. And if you want to find out where they are, that's your homework. But Paul is placing in all of us a hope that we would do and that we would behave and that we would trust and we would take caution where Paul says we should take caution. So I'm just going to race over the points here I find in chapter 4 and give you a perspective of what Paul is trying to communicate. And I'm going to do this in the context of these are the points that he wants you to know about. I, you, if you read chapter 4, and I'm going to read in just a minute, 1 through 5, there are some passages in there that you want me to, you would probably want to have a conversation about what does that literally mean? If I don't hit it hard enough for you this morning, uh, call me, talk to me, uh, come by the office. My door is always open. And there are no carpenters working on it right now, so I'm there. The first point Paul makes is the point of uh, apost apostasy. Apostasy is when you fall away from God and you stop doing good things of Christ and you start talking bad about Christ and you start turning people away from God. Uh, apostasy, that's a, a kind of a, a loose, um, what is that? Is that a King Jonah? No, who was that? King Barry? Somebody, King Jonah. Anyhow, that's their translation. I, I forgive them for it. But sometimes the Spirit says, it says in verse 4, chap, chapter 1, Chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to the deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. And everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Paul is saying, Timothy, be on the alert for false teachers, false doctrine, and be ready to stand by the word of God. When he says, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, he does that because there's testimony in the Gospels that Jesus talked about this, that uh, times are going to come when people won't help one another. A mother will deny her child, and a child will deny 
his parents. And that's the way it's going to happen. There will be false teachers. And there will be a falling away. It won't be a losing of salvation. You can't do that, right? Go home today remembering this. You cannot, if you truly have salvation, you cannot lose it. So when you start to do something that doesn't look godly, start worrying about your salvation. Because maybe, maybe you don't have it. So that's, that's a word of encouragement. Keep looking at what's happening. The deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons uh, are offered. And you see that uh, people, uh, Paul says, there are people who are so into demonic stuff, so people who are so captured by the demonic world that it's like there was a branding iron that seared that, that rebellion right in them. And when the searing hot of the branding iron healed, it was still there and it wasn't going to come out. Be aware of them. Be aware of them and know when to dust your hands off and keep moving because they will come. And if they can get you to believe the wrong thing, if they can get you to buy into the chocolate or the demon sauce, that's what they want to do. There are men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods. Paul gives this great big sheet and he I mean, Christ gives this great big sheet to Paul, and it's got every animal that Paul would, that uh, Peter would think were uh, forbidden. And Paul, Christ sends that sheet and all those animals down to say, "Peter, take, eat, for I have called all these clean." That's what he says about everything. You know, the worst hot dog you ever tasted is good and holy if God gives it to you and you thanks the Lord for it, right? Some of you don't know what a hot dog is. But a hot dog can be just as good as a steak, and a steak can be bad as the worst hot dog you ever had, right? But Paul tells Timothy, but it's all good if it's given to you and you receive it with the prayers of thanks to God and you don't reject it. Everything God created is good. And... <laughs> That, you know, God says all kinds of things. He says he created, um, what's something that nobody really likes? What? Mosquitoes. Yeah, he created those little buggers, and he tried to give them a control tower, but they haven't accepted it yet. But the truth is, I was thinking more of something like a carrot cake. Everybody like carrot cake? Yeah. Carrot cake is good. Created by a person who knows how to cook, who's took the ingredients that God created and made that carrot cake. The difference between good and evil is God tells us other places in the Bible, do not be a glutton. That's a word that says a uh, person that eats half a carrot cake at a time, he's bad. Don't be that. God created it, it's good, but he gave us a brain and we know that from other places, gluttony is not good for us. We know that other places that we can drink a beer. Well, he never says beer in the scripture. I'm not even going to talk about that. He never says cigar. I'm not even going to talk about that. What does he say? It's all good. Use your head. Think. It's all good. And you know, I'm surprised that you haven't raised your hand, but what about that marriage thing? The Bible says 
a lot of places, and I'm not going to read them all, but there are a lot of places. Marriage is ordained by God, and it is good. And if you're married, that's a great thing. And if you have had a failed marriage, and you have changed your attitude about marriage, God says, that's good. I know there's some people going to stand there and want to fight me about that. We have this sometimes question that we ask, is this your, particularly with a, you know, a church pastor, no one gets interviewed or scrutinized more than a candidate to be a church pastor. You understand that? That is a brutal process. They have credit reports, they have character reports, they have blah, 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 blah. Is this your first marriage? That's not the question. That's the wrong question. The right question is, are you a one-woman man? Would your wife say, my husband is a one-woman man? That's the right question. We go hunting for all kinds of things. You can't play. Some church, I know people got kicked out of church for playing pinochle. That's a vile game, right? That's a really bad game. And I'm not trying to make jokes as much as I'm just trying to say the truth. We sometimes put barriers that the Lord said don't belong there. And that's why God said, use your head. Don't get caught by the doctrine of demons and the word of God. And he says in in verse uh, 6, let me read this with you. Verse 6, he says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine or the good doctrine which you have been following. Um, now, I'm not going to read the next part. Well, I am here. Anyway. It says, that have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. It is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. Paul says, Point out these things. Point out the things I'm mentioning here in this chapter 4. Point out the thing that we're supposed to see. And pointing out these things, you will be a good servant. You will hold to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is a discipline. Sound doctrine is taking the rules of God, the good rules of God, recognizing that they're God's truth, and using those to live your life by it, and not be confused by demons, and not be confused by uh, other people, and the fables that are just suited for old women's whatever. I don't know any old women like that. Do you? No, Jim doesn't. Gary doesn't. But it's the point, not that they were old, not that they were women, but the point is they have these little catchphrases. Godliness is, I mean, cleanliness is next to godliness. It's a good phrase, right? But it has nothing to do with the Bible. It, it's just the truth. A, a, a paraphrase or a proverb that we come with ourselves. That's an example of a good example. But there are other phrases that people try to tell you, you know. Uh, take this kind of medicine when you feel bad. Take this kind of medicine and rub it on you. Drink 17 gallons of root beer 
and it'll feel better. Those are not good things. They're not in the Bible. Use your head. I'm so glad gave us a, God gave us a brain. I so wish, no, I'm not going to say I would like to use mine better, but it said it is a trustworthy statement. It is, it is um, for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men. Now he will say later in 2 Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or good doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Ears tickled. Didn't, you know, when the first time I read that, I thought that was funny. I could just see a preacher going through the church tickling people's ears, you know. That's silly, right? Anybody think that was silly? That's why Paul said it, because it is stupid. I mean, it's silly. It's a tickle in their ears. That means that's a preacher that doesn't want to worry about the word of God. He wants to worry about the response from the crowd. He had the love of men and women more than he had the love of Christ. These are teachers, and I just have a list here for you. They tickle the ears and teach the desires of the audience. These are teachers that do not know sound doctrine, but want to please God. These are teachers that say the husband is not the head of the household, contrary to the Bible. These are teachers that teach free love for everyone and anyone. Go ahead. Everybody's doing it. These are teachers that teach sex with the same gender is not wrong, contrary to the word of God. These are teachers that teach it is right to kill an unwanted baby. These are teachers that teach that all roads lead to heaven. Don't worry. Be happy. These are false teachers. They mock God and they mock the word of God because they take things out of context. They take things and they, they don't bend them. They break them. They absolutely fail to recognize the truth of the scripture. They absolutely fail to recognize that God says, if you repent and you ask me to be your savior, I will forgive your sins, and none of that stuff will be held against you. But they say, well, I'm worried about God. You don't have to worry about that. You doing okay? Yeah. Be happy. That's what God wants you to do. God wants you to be happy. That's another false statement. So now in, I just want to plow through to the end of this chapter, and I want to give you five mocks you know what a mock is. Don't mock God. Don't mock your spouse. Don't mock your children. Paul gives us five things. He gives them to Tim Timothy, but they're also for us. Five mocks. And he says that in verse 11. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youth. The first mock is... Don't mock God's man. It says, prescribe and teach these things. In verse 11, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. There's some young people in our crowd here. I mean young, under the age of 40. 80 is the new 40. Young people, 
God says, don't let people mock your youth because your youth is important and your youth is precious and your youth shows us that there is energy and enthusiasm in the word of God and God is raising up a generation to continue to carry it along. And if we can get excited about Bethany Ruth, who's not a week old yet, we can certainly get excited about anybody who is under 40, who is here and wants to serve and worship and learn about God. Amen? And the more you learn, you know, I don't care how old you are, the more you learn, the more maturity you show, the more people respect you, the more the Word of God just flows out of you. Families. Raising godly kids. The word of God just flows out of them. How can I raise a family like that? Well, you just got to pray. Amen? If it was easy, they would write a book about it. Well, they've written a number of books, but those are... It's the thing that youth, youth grows by learning and studying and being, and don't let people mock your youth. Don't let people say, well, I used to go to church, but I gave that up. That was nonsense. That is a bogus, false teaching. You're young. You're youthful. You decide. You can be put off by your folks. I'm telling you, in, uh, in my, church, my home, I told you this a long time ago, but my mom was a Methodist and my dad was a Baptist, and we compromised. We didn't go to church. That was a bad decision. But if someone had in our family just risen up and said, hey, I'm just a young guy. I got four boys. What am I going to do? I can't even feed them. I mean, it's crazy. And said, I'm going to raise them in the nurture and admonition to the Lord. That's positive. That's positive. God looks around this room and he says, don't let anyone mock your youth. And here's another dual flip on that. Don't let anyone mock your age. We just read this this morning, uh, didn't we, Scott? As you get older, you get wiser. Didn't we read something like that in Proverbs? I don't know. Or maybe it was James. If you get older, you get wiser. We want to look at older people guide the big corporations and older people guide different places in government and older people get out of the church because you're in our way. No, that is wrong. Older people are special and dear to God. And guess what? We need them, right? If we knew any older people, I mean, I'm not, there's not anybody here like that, but if we knew any older people, older people should be, they should be honored. They should be praised. We, we learned last week that you have to be in a church at least two years and probably more like four years before you really become that church pastor. Older people. Help us get over that. Help us get to a place where the pastor is really our pastor. Don't mock. Don't let people mock your youth, Timothy. Don't let people knock the fact that you're a God's man. And the second point I want to make is don't mock the Bible. Paul says in verse 13, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. If you read the Bible... Any words won't get mixed up. You won't know what's wrong. You won't know what 
The truth is, if you read it, you'll know what the truth is. You won't know what the false doctrine. It's like uh, the old saying, you know, you, you rub a bunch of money and you get to tell the, the difference between the real and the fake. If you hang around with a bunch of people, you will get to know the real and the fake. And beloved, this is meant, uh, don't mock the Bible. The Bible says, let us not forsake our assembling together. That means we come to church. Because when you come to church, you worship and you talk and you get to know people and you've got family. And if you sit up here by Lucinda and are right back in the back by Scott, there's a whole lot of people to get to know in between. That's what God calls you. Do not forsake our assembly together. As is because the end is near. The time is coming. He's either going to come and get us or we're going to go be with God. That's what happens at the end of life. Don't mock the Bible. He says, give attention to the reading. I think it's amazing when children get up in the morning and they see mom reading their scripture. And when they're young children, there's not a chance that's going to happen because mom's got more irons in the fire than you can shake a stick at. But later... When the life systems change and mom's got more time on her hand, kids get up and say, you know, I see mom's in there reading her Bible. Don't say anything. Our dad. Our dad says, hey, let's all get together. And I got some parts of scripture I want to share with you. And the family has a, a Bible time. Don't mock the Bible, please. It's so important. If you read this book, you'll know how you should be living and acting. So don't mock the Bible. The next point, you know, some of us say that we can't memorize anymore. Is that just an excuse? Some of us say, uh, you know, I don't think it's up there, but some of us say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to get, sometimes we get husbands that are pushy with their wives and stuff like that, or we get other people that are pushy with different people, and they expect, I'm a la-di-da, and you're supposed to serve me, right? I know you guys don't know anybody like that, but when that happens, what you do if you're reading the Bible, you remember that in Mark, Mark said, Jesus said, for the Son of Man did not, Christ, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In 1 Corinthians 11, or this is the end of chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ was a servant. <laughs> so when you get pushy, or you start saying, get out of my, would you bring me? That's not what Christ did. You know that because Christ got up took off his robe, put on his towel, and washed his disciples' feet. He came that we might have life, and he gave his life so that we could do it. So don't mock the Bible. Don't mock God's calling. Verse 14 says this, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the Presbyterian. Now I know I'm hurrying, so don't get bogged down. But the truth is, Timothy is reminded that everyone gets a spiritual gift from God. The moment you say to God, please forgive me, 
be my Savior. The Holy Spirit comes in you and He gives you a gift, a spiritual gift. And it's not my ability to go around and say, well, that's not the gift you want. Here's the gift you want. That is nonsense. <laughs> it's the Spirit gives the gift. And when you have that gift, how can I say, um, how can I say anything about that? What I should say is, how can I help you use your gift better? How can I help you really realize what gift you have? I see Norm and I see Jim sitting right there, two big guys. Does anybody here know their gifts? I hardly know them. I know their names, and so hopefully I don't get them wrong. I see my brother, uh, Rick, Grace, I mean, what's his name, Chuck, sitting right there. <laughs> Norm and Jim and Chuck. You know their gifts? I only know them a little bit, and I probably could tell you each one, at least one facet of their gifts. And that's what God does. He comes, and he, there, there's lists of gifts in the Bible, but God takes those lists as it is his, his ability. He never makes the same thing twice. He stirs it up. That's what God does. He creates. And so when he's going to create a, a gift in Norm or create a gift in Jim or create a gift in Chuck, he says, I want them to have a, a gift of teaching, and I'm going to throw in a little salt with encouragement and I'm going to throw in a little bit of prayer. And that's going to be their gift. And he mixes it up, and you can't find the name for that in the Bible because only God knows the recipe. Don't mock his gift. When Timothy was growing up, the elders of the church saw that Timothy had the gift to preach and teach and lead, and they laid hands on him and they committed that. That's what we've been talking about in our search team meetings. Does he have a call to be a pastor? Does he have a call to shepherd the flock of God? Those are big things. You can train some people to speak sometimes. But you can't give them the call to be a shepherd because that comes from God. And Paul tells Timothy, you have been called. And the presbytery are the elders know it and they have laid hands on it and they have offered you their blessing don't mock the call don't mock the call and I just challenge you to after service today or next Sunday corner Norm don't corner him too bad he's a big guy corner Jim corner Chuck and just talk to him a little bit get to know their gifts and you want to find out what their gifts are ask their wives I think, I, I'm calling a lot of names and everybody will get mad, but I think anytime you hear someone saying to a pastor or an elder, this is just a caution. If you hear someone say to a pastor or an elder, uh, well, I was here before you, and I will be here after you leave. I hope you shake your head and say, this pastor's name, watch this, this pastor's name was written in the Lamb's book of life before creation began. The Lord says, I know the plans I have for you. We've already heard that from Jonah. God already knew this pastor was going to be here. Are you going to mock him or are you going to pray for him? God gifted him. 
God appointed him. Don't mock that man. Don't mock his family. Mocking is impertinence of the worst kind. The last thing is, um, don't. well, I just want to add, don't forget your spiritual gift. Pay attention to it. Don't mock your own great, your own growth. In verse 15, he says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident. Take things with the things we've been talking about. Taking pains insinuates there will be pain. <laughs> A friend I was playing golf with the other day, we agreed that uh, there is no victory unless there's a battle. There is no pain unless there is a hurt. And then you have a hurt, you have pain, then you grow through it, it heals, and you become a better person on the other side of that. Your progress becomes known to all. When you take, when you become a person of the Scripture and you start to learn the words of the, God, of the Bible and you start to memorize and you start to act like it and you start to challenge people to do that, you know what they know about you? You're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Not perfect, but trying. Faithful follower of Jesus Christ. That's what we want. If we would do that, could we turn this city upside down, put it on its head, because suddenly there's a movement of God in this place. I like that. I hope we can do that, and I hope we keep trying to do that. And it says, don't mock your own example. Oh, I forgot something I was going to tell you. Have you ever figured out how to lay up treasures in heaven? Hmm. Yeah, me too. Paul says the way to do that is to absorb the things of God, store them up, and then lay up the treasures in heaven as you listen to the prompting of the Spirit and follow through. What I meant to say was, when the Spirit speaks to you, and the Spirit speaks to all of us from time to time, the Spirit will say, go give that person a, a hug, or go give that person a couple bucks, or go give that person a book, or just stop and talk. That's a biggie. We do more walking by people. Oh, hi, good, good to see you, Mom. I'll be back. I'm guilty of this. That's why I can talk about it. I'm terrible. But Paul says, be absorbed in the things of God so that your progress will be evident to all. This is a signal that he lives in us and he wants to use us. The last thing I want to have here is don't mock your own example. Pay close attention to yourself, Paul says in verse 16, and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Paul says pay close attention to yourself. You, most of you do this already. What you wear, how you grow, how you uh, groom yourself. Paul is encouraging Timothy to persevere in his study of the Bible, to read the Bible, memorize the Bible, and discipline yourself to keep at it. You have to discipline yourself. This is not the one, is it? Yeah, no, it's not. 
Paul is saying that discipline leads you to be filled with the water of the word. I like this. Now, if you are reading the word and you're being filled with the word, the water of the word is filling you up, right? And you're going to become a Bible spring. And the water of the word is just going to kind of overflow and flow into other people. And as they get to know you, they're going to say, wow, goody two-shoes, right? And then as they really get to know you, they're going to say, no, that's a man who loves Jesus. That's a woman who loves Jesus. Look at their family. Look at the place where they go to church. Look at the people they hang out with. Overflowing. Overflowing. Let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good deeds. Let the light flow. The Spirit grow others around you as you water them and nourish them, cherish them. Verses that I like that I memorized when I was the first Christian, first a Christian was from Psalm 119. Well, young women, young women and young men, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's how we do it. Little ones, big ones, older ones, younger ones. Hide the word of God in your heart and then reveal it. The Christian faith and the life of the Christian is so important and vital. It is not a lone ranger task. It is every one of us disciplining ourselves how everything we do. It is remembering who taught you to do the things you do. Hopefully, as you grew older, you started to turn some things around by your own teaching, but you had a beginning with a mom and dad and aunts and uncles and cousins. Discipline yourself. Absorb sound doctrines. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, Paul says in verse 16. Remember, don't let anyone mock God's man. Don't be a party to mocking God's man. Don't let anyone mock God's word. Cherish the Word of God. If you need a Bible, ask and somebody here. I will help you get a Bible. God's calling. Don't mock God's calling. God's, you know, there are young people, there are older people here that have a strong calling from God to do something. We have Sunday school teachers here that are doing a great job. We have other leaders that are doing a great job. We have, we have three women's groups that meet here, Tuesday morning, morning Tuesday afternoon, Discover meets on Wednesday. We have a young adults thing. Uh, Barry, King Barry was here with the young adults, and he and his wife Jill host a program for young adults. So if you're under the age of what age would that be? Barry, Jill, 90? Yeah. So if you're under the age of 90 and you think you're younger, they would be happy for you to join their group. You can talk to Austin and... Melissa here about it. That's the important thing. Join that. Don't let anyone mock your youth. Don't let anyone mock your calling. Don't let anyone mock the fact that you are growing in God's word. And don't let anyone mock your example. I used to tell, and I have told this church this, I think, your kids are looking at you. I'm going to grow up and be just like my daddy. I saw a really neat sweatshirt this morning. It said, 
I may look like my daddy, but I have my mother's attitude. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I'm going to grow up and be just like my mother. And young people, you know, one of these days, uh, Levi, Jacob, all those little boys, they're going to grow up and be men, and they're going to want to marry, you know, Samantha and whoever else we have around here. I didn't mention you, Regan. You're good. But the truth is, what a young man grows up in a family and he sees all the women around him, and you know this because I've told you before, but a young man will say, I'm going to marry a woman just like my mother. Praise God if you are a godly woman and you've set a good example and you've given him a challenge to rise up and you've raised the bar so that he will marry a woman just like his mother. Or I'm going to marry a man just like my dad. My dad, everybody respected what he said. He would help anybody. He was a good man. He, lo I, he loved my mom. That's what Paul is passing along to Timothy. Set the standard and the bar up here. That's where God is, up here. That's where we want to put it, so... All right, before they make me give them back the chocolates, we all do all this for two reasons. One is to increase our personal knowledge of the Lord and what he desires from us, and the other is to influence our friends and neighbors. Start now. Go back to the place where you may have stopped doing this. Go back to the place where you need to pick up your Bible. Go back to the place where you need to clean up your behavior. Go back to the place where you forgot the desires that God had for you. He will meet you there. God will meet you at that place. He is Lord, and He has the greatest love for all of us. He wants you to be everything that He prepared you to be. Let's pray. Father, I think that uh, there's too much material here, and I've Pray that the high points have been, uh, or the points I've made have been received, and I pray that people will understand. It is essential for every Christian to take the attitude that it depends on me in my place to represent you to those around me. I pray you would do that, Lord, and I pray that people would have a sense of trust how can we not grow up and trust you? How can we not every time the going gets tough and the pain gets sharp that we just fall on our knees and cry holy and cry help me and say, I love you, Lord. I trust you. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things, Lord. We ask you to strengthen us. In Jesus' name. Amen.